Hello and welcome to the PRSB podcast. I'm here today with Roberta Lovick, an end-of-life campaigner, and Sarah Malik from Compassion in Dying. We're here to talk about the importance of having conversations about end-of-life care and why it's so vital that this information is recorded and shared in the right way at the right time. Hi, Roberta. Thanks so much for coming on the PRSB podcast. We know that you're really passionate about supporting better end-of-life care following your experiences as a carer. Could you tell us a little bit more about your story? Yes. um, I cared for my daughter Louise, who um, developed breast cancer at the age of 26. We now know that we have BRCA2 gene in the family, so I've cared for several family members. But with Louise, it was um, extremely difficult because of her age and the fact that um, she had married and had um, two little stepchildren. Her illness progressed and uh, eventually she developed liver cancer, um, which was awful, you know, very difficult for her to look after the two boys. And so I moved down to Bristol to care for her. Sadly, her husband left us, so I was there with the two children and Louise who was um, very, very unwell. So my mum came to assist and moved into the flat with us. And throughout all of this time, we denied what was actually happening. We talked about what we'd do in the future, how I would take Louise to Colorado and things like that, and um, everything geared around her future. I suppose I stifled any thoughts that she may well die. Sadly, when Louise was very, very ill, I knew that she had um, internal bleeding. I recognised that, and I spoke to the hospital, and I was told that I could take her off the painkillers, which I did. And it was absolutely awful, because she died in horrendous pain. We had to get her to the hospital, and when we arrived, she died in accident and emergency, in full view of everybody on a busy Friday evening. And I know that if we'd have had conversations, then I hope that the medical professionals would have said to me that the end was quite possibly very close and that I would have just kept her indoors and I would have laid beside her and let her gently slip away. And as it was, that didn't happen. So I bear the guilt of all that to this day. I would say to anybody, be brave, have conversations. Because I didn't know what Louise's wishes were. But, I mean, you made those decisions kind of with her best interests at heart at the time, and you've now learned that it's so important to have these conversations and to be able to be open and honest about it. How would you say that's kind of impacted your work now, and what have you gone on to do since then? Because um, Louise suffered so badly at end of life, and... Um, things weren't in place for her. And I don't apportion any blame to anybody in particular. That was just the way things were. Um, I felt that I needed to do something um, to improve end-of-life care, both nationally and locally. And so I began a campaign to do that because I feel that there are lots of issues, one of which is having difficult conversations And um, I wanted to convey to anybody that would listen that it is so important to do just that. I'm grateful that I can do this today because if one person just pays a little bit of attention and does something about it, that could mean so much. 
We've also got um, Sarah with us here today, um, who's a nurse at Compassion in Dying. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit more about your role and how you help people to plan ahead? Sure, yeah. So I, um, I've been on the information line at Compassion in Dying for um, well over a year now, and we help people... Um, with support and information to plan ahead for their future treatment and care. We are also supporters of PRSB and the work that they do and I think it's so important that once people have... Um, we work closely with people um, either on the phone or on email and, um, and do this for free, which um, I think is an incredibly important service. Do this for free, which um, I think is an incredibly important service. Roberta, in terms of um, once those difficult conversations um, have actually happened and once you've had those conversations and you know what a person wants, how do you think that information or what's the best way to kind of communicate that information and ensure that it's shared with the right people? I think it's important that the medical professionals know about those conversations. And in some ways, I think... For me, the onus is sometimes on us to instigate those conversations because they have a difficult time, um, you know, speaking to people day in, day out about end-of-life care or future care. And I think we have to be brave enough to realise that sometimes deep down inside, I believe that we do have an idea of where the situation is going. And therefore, if we help to start those conversations then surely that's going to you know, help with some of the stress for the doctors. But also I feel that it's hugely important that you convey those conversations to other members of the family because um, quite often people have different views about how things should go and I really feel that um, whilst we all think we know best, we have to leave the patient to make those decisions and then respect whatever they've said. And how do you think digital records could better support this? I think that if they're shared amongst everybody, they've got to be a good thing, because there could be so much on those records about somebody. You know, um, you can assume that you know somebody, but their wishes and their needs could be quite complex, and by having digital records, you can record everything that somebody needs you to know. Sarah, from your experience, have you ever had any examples where uh, information sharing hasn't gone to plan or there's been an issue as a result of something that hasn't been shared in a record? Absolutely. Working clinically, um, it's so um, it was so apparent that people didn't know enough and um, information wasn't communicated well enough um, when it needed to be at the right time to the right people. I remember um, one case that always sticks in my mind that makes me feel sad. Ten years on, whenever I think about it, um, on an oncology ward that I was working on, a lady had died on a night shift. Um, She had end-stage breast cancer. The doctor had insisted on us beginning CPR because her DNR form had expired an hour or so before. And it felt like a very barbaric thing to do to somebody. Um, And... With better information, with better communication and more succinct record-keeping, things could have been very different. And whilst I, I really appreciate how difficult it is to talk about um, 
end-of-life care planning specifically and what someone wants, the implication of not having those conversations is far more damaging than the uncomfortable nature of the conversations in the first place, which is, I think, just so important for all healthcare professionals to remember when they're worrying about bringing it up or assuming someone else will. And I feel, in a way, we were robbed of a lot of things because... um, Louise absolutely knew how much I loved her. That was never in doubt. But there were things that I would have wished to say that I've never said, you know, and and stories I would have told her that she may never have known. And um, whilst those few months in Bristol, the time was wonderful, I still think we could have spent the time more wisely if we had had the conversations and, and... actually known how long Louise had. I mean, I know nobody can make a definite um, time frame for you, but at the same time we would have known that things were approaching the end and, um, and, you know, you can say goodbye day after day, but that that final goodbye is so important. And as well, when, when somebody's going through that care and they have lots of things that might be wrong with them by that point they might have lots of complex problems they might be seeing a lot of different specialists as a result of that um have you both found from your experiences that it's sometimes difficult to have information and the right information being shared between those different groups of people and between those different specialists absolutely I mean, there are so many examples in healthcare, especially when you start to have um, you know, comorbidities or multiple health problems or different specialists involved, or indeed different departments altogether, or um, private healthcare combined with NHS care. That can always be that can often be really complicated. Um, notes would go missing. Um, information would um, not become, you know, would not surface until way after you needed it, um, leading to appointments being cancelled and information being missed it would just it could be very very um disorganized as a result i've had two family members who were really afraid to die and and i don't say they were afraid of death they were afraid of the dying process very scared so um I really wished for them that they had had something in place and had discussions or um, records so that people could have actually um, documented their fear. And there's so many things that can infect people at different stages of their illness and that they may even change their mind about things and how they want the future to look and how they want their care plans to be delivered. And um, one of the things that we feel about having standardised information is that we can make it more personal by delivering that and making that available for both the patients, for the carers, for all the clinicians involved in care. Absolutely. We help people um, at Compassion in Dying to write advanced statements, which is a really important and quite empowering document, um, which um, involves talking about your wishes and your preferences. And it touches on some of those points. So if you um, have been a vegetarian all your life and you would really like to um, ensure that Um, after you lose capacity for example with a dementia diagnosis that your diet preferences continue to be respected that kind of information can be valuable Um, also things like being cared for by a same gender um, carers some people really don't want to be looked after by someone of the opposite sex and that's perfectly um, 
fine, that's an absolutely reasonable expectation, but who would know if you hadn't documented that? Um, so we find that's a really important and very empowering piece of um, paperwork and really helps to personalise that care. Not everything is about refusing treatment or um, about the clinical stuff. It's actually really important to um, look at the person and what's important to them. If you talk about death and dying while you're well and get those things into a plan, it's much easier. You know, I've bought my plot. My mum's bought hers next to me and... I don't think about being in there. <laughs> I just tend it, you know, because I'm I'm good at the moment and uh, we've done that. We've done a plan for my mum. She knows what she wants and we put it to bed and she gets on with her life. I mean, I mean it's interesting as well because it's the one thing that's going to happen to everyone and yet it's the one thing that we find very difficult to talk about and discuss. Um, it's particularly understandable, obviously, in a situation like Louise, where she was so young, um, and it's not what you expect to happen. But I think that by having information and having that, having those discussions, and then having that information recorded in the right place so that it's available to everyone who's involved in care at the right time, can support people and just take away that additional stress particularly as it is such an emotional time at end-of-life care. I don't know if you have any more. Yeah, I really agree. And at the moment, I mean, we work, all of our work is underpinned by the Mental Capacity Act. And in the Code of Practice, it does underline that once people write, for instance, advanced decisions, it must be, the onus is on them to share it. Um, which can be quite a difficult process and you, um, we suggest people share it with their hospital and their GP and um, anyone else involved in their care, like any specialists um, and so on. And it's a, it's a bit of a process. And then when they start to do that and they put all this work into it and then they, they have sort of obstructive hurdles, like the GP says, well, you're not terminally ill, you're not old enough to have done this, we don't really agree with it or we're not going to record it. Or they've never heard of it. Well, that makes the process so difficult. They've put all that work in. So to have a system where that wasn't going to happen to people and it was all kind of ready and um, and expected and so on, I think I just think that would be invaluable. At PRSB, we're really hoping that the use of standardised information is going to be able to support and help people to make better decisions in the future and that it will be more personalised. So I'd just like to thank you both for coming here today and telling us about your own experiences. Um, Thanks so much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity. Thanks. Thanks.